It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, July 9th, the Toddler on the Run edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, cultural critic, and mom to Naima, who is seven and we reside in Los Angeles, California. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry eight, Oliver six, and Teddy three, and I'm located in Navarre, Florida. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer at Slate and the author of the book, How to Be a Family. I'm the father of two bigs, enormouses, huges, uh, Lyra, who's 15, and Harper, who is 12, and we live in Arlington, Virginia. Today on the show, we have a letter from the parents of a little escapee who decided not to respond even when he heard his parents calling for him. He was found after going missing just before the police were called. What can his parents do to make sure that they can find him if or when he decides to go on the run again? We also have a question from a mother who would love to give her daughter a sibling, but doesn't know if her household can take more sleep issues and a new baby. And as always, of course, we have triumphs and fails and recommendations. Let's start with you, Elizabeth. Do you have a triumph or a fail for us this week? I have a fail, which is can just be generally summed up as like, I was not very kind to my children when they did something that happens to me all the time, which is that they, well, mostly just Henry, could not find his recorder for his music lesson. And this makes me completely bonkers because I have like set up a very neat and organized house. Like we hang things places. All they have to do is put it back, right? And then they will have it when it's there. And I just feel like, there are so many things that I am like, ah, oh, this is not a big deal. Like I pick up things. I just, I just handle all these little things. But the idea that like you use this recorder once a day and then you need to just go hang it back up on the hook that is in the same room. So how did it migrate somewhere else? <laughs> like, What were you doing with this? So anyway, he couldn't find it. We were approaching like less than time. And I just go into this like condescending nagging where I am just like, if you had hung it up, you know, we wouldn't be in this situation, which is... We're, we're, we all know how moms talk when we misplace our things. Yes, yeah. like, uh, it is it is so bad, it's not helpful at all, you know? Like, what did you do with it? And the thing is, I lose my phone a thousand times a day. Like, the amount of times that I ask the children to find my phone is ridiculous. So I <laughs> should definitely be able to have a little bit more compassion in these situations. I go into this, like, blinding... I like panic when we can't find things. And listen, this is like 20 minutes before the lesson. There is plenty of time to find the recorder. We haven't left the house. So the recorder is in the house. I completely just lost my mind on no no yell. I'm not like a yeller, but I am just a like nagger, like just followed him around the house being like, well, where could you? You did not help the search by reminding him constantly through the search 
how yeah. bad he blew it by losing his recorder. Exactly. And then right. when we found it, he just like apologized over and over. And then I apologized. And I, I felt terrible. It was like, this was not a helpful way to solve this problem. And then, you know, he has all this anxiety. So then he's having all this anxiety about the lesson because, you know, he's worried he might forget to hang the recorder up again. It's like, not not good, Elizabeth. But that's okay. We survived it. And I'm going to try to be better next time. Certain things just push our buttons, right? And that... We found it. Yeah. <laughs> we did I mean, you it. found it and it worked out fine. Yeah. So I guess I, in a way it worked. But also certain things just push our buttons. And this happens with me with losing things in the house. It happens with Alia, with the kids leaving socks on the floor. Like these are the things that drive us crazy, way out of scale of the actual yeah. offense. And, yep. the you know, when everyone's stuck in the house together for going on... I think we're in month number 1100 now. These things just get like exacerbated and it can be really hard. And I'm I'm glad you apologized. And I think that he will be fine. And I believe in your ability to get past this next time. And I also just want to remind you that one way to think of it is the, the worst case scenario of a situation like this. The worst possible result is that you wouldn't have to listen to a kid play the recorder for an hour, which like isn't it? Yes, in the and of itself totally are terrible. <laughs> right. So like, just remember that next time as well. Yeah, like, hey, maybe I'm missing the recorder. I think I just feel like being organized. Like, there are so many times that being organized has saved me or made things easier. That I just want them to also be organized, and I have done the work to make them be organized. So why can't you just hang the bag up where it goes? Were you organized at their age? Yes. You were. Oh, that's the worst part. Um, yeah. yeah. That's why I have no sympathy. But I need, that's the thing. Like, you're absolutely right, Dan. Like, there are so many other times in life in which I do have sympathy for them for things. And I'm able to be more empathetic. And I, I need to just say, like, this is not the end of the world. Like, this is, you're absolutely right. Like, if we don't have a recorder and we miss a lesson, oh, well. Jamila, were you organized growing up? Were you an organized girl? I'm not organized now, so I don't know why anyone would think that. <laughs> no, I was not an organized girl, but my mother was. I thought maybe you devolved. No, unfortunately. Actually, this is this is an improvement. But my mother is Elizabeth, so she's extremely organized. She's extremely tidy. Those are not things that I am naturally. I have to work. My organization is like a house of cards, so it's a very delicate. So I, too, am triggered when... Naima misplaces something. I've worked so hard to create the semblance of order in this house. And it is so fragile. And like one really bad, like we had a hard time picking out an outfit and now there's clothes everywhere. Like that's all it takes for it all to fall apart. Next thing I know, the refrigerator's dirty again and the cat's hanging from a curtain. Like <laughs> it just takes one little incident to destroy the order in this house. It takes very little. And nagging them is not going to work is the point. It's not. You're going to make order unappealing. I'm just starting to be like, hey, this is actually a good idea. Like, oh, this is how mop works. Ah, okay. All these things that my mother made uncool to me as a child because they were so serious to her. So I rebelled against them. Yeah, I know. I need to relax about it. I mean, I, that, yeah. It's hard. I mean, Lyra is growing up the same way I grew up as a person who has like no particular organization and doesn't ever know where anything is and is like not that worried about it and it took me till you know i was in college and in my early 20s and like shit and my life totally fell apart because of that lack of organization and that's how i eventually you know jerry rigged a bunch of 
you know, extremely complicated systems to help myself keep my life in order that I basically still follow to this day. Uh, I mean, I think not maybe not that different from the way that you do things, Jamila, where I just like found ways once things fell apart so badly that it was really adversely affecting my life. I like found ways to force myself to do the bare minimum of organization to keep my life together. And, and I know that that is what it's going to take for Lyra to eventually make those leaps as well. And so it makes it easier, a little easier for me, I think to deal with her when she has these lapses, but it's still, there is also the other side of it of me going like, ah, fuck, you got to learn this. You got to learn this. I learned it eventually. You got to learn it someday. But I also have to remind myself that I didn't learn it until I was like 23, 24, maybe. 36 is going to be my year. <laughs> I can feel it. I can feel it. All right. I have a triumph this week. Very, very teensy triumph. Maybe sort of more of a life hack. But it really, really worked. And I'm super proud of coming up with it. Lyra kept forgetting to take her pills in the morning. She's very dependent on routine to like make sure that she needs to get her shit done and on a given day and so during the before times when she had school it was just part of her morning ritual she would get up and she would eat breakfast and she would take her pills while she was eating breakfast but these days you know like every teenager she's just lounging around in her bed for hours in the morning and i couldn't figure out a way to get her to remember to take them or and i couldn't figure out a place to like put a reminder where she would be guaranteed of seeing it because you know, she's just in her bed. She's looking at her phone or reading or whatever. She's not looking at notes I leave for her and her room's a disaster anyway. So any note I left would immediately be covered in accretions of shit. And when she's around, like walking around the house, she doesn't really pay that much attention to her surroundings. But finally, it took me a while, but I finally found the one place, which is that I uh, wrote, take your pills on a piece of paper. And then I taped it to the bathroom wall opposite the toilet uh and it's the one place i know that at some point each morning she will have to sit down for at least one second and then have to look straight in front of her and it totally worked every morning now after she goes to the bathroom she takes her pills and i'm like yes like the college stall notes or whatever that's correct (laughs) right later in her life that'll be targeted advertising but right now it's just a very important psa from her father so I have a fail, y'all. I have a fail that has been an ongoing uh, issue for a long time, and I just have to deal with it. My daughter's been back in the bed all pandemic. She is seven, as you know. Uh, she has her own room. She has a lovely room. It's pink. It's got a canopy bed. It's very cute. She likes it. But uh, she's been sleeping in the bed with me. And honestly, she's been sleeping in the bed with me for the most part, when she's here, since we moved to California in October, it at first it was just, hey, you know, this is a big transition. You know, she spent half of last summer away from me. We're in a new city. You're away from everyone that you know and love. You know, there's some anxiety and, and some sadness. And uh, I, I don't mind it. I like to cuddle with her at night. It's cool. And then when I was finally getting to the point where I'm like, okay, it's time to start uh, requiring her to sleep in her own bed, the world shut down for the pandemic. And now I just feel like she's had so much taken away from her. And there's been so much, you know, that is unsettled and unknown right now that I, at the very least, want her to be able to get a good night's sleep. But I worry because she's seven and she should be sleeping in her own big girl bed by now. Does it affect your sleeping or you're perfectly comfortable with it? <laughs> 
I'm typically pretty comfortable with it. I mean, there are nights where it's like, you know, I I'd, I'd rather just stretch. Maybe I want to sleep naked or stretch out or, you know what I mean? Or like yeah. maybe talk on the phone in my room instead of having to like be in the living room or, you know, like there are times where I would like to just use my room yeah. at night and, and that has been taken off the table. So I'm just in the living room, but I don't mind it because she, we cuddle a bit and then we kind of part ways and I have a, you know, queen size bed. So yeah. she goes to her side and I go to mine. This is so funny because I almost did a triumph fail about the same thing because we, our kids all go to bed in their room, but I would say most nights, at least one of them ends up sleeping with us, if Mm -hmm. not multiple of them. And I actually feel like since it works for us, it's fine. Like I was going to talk about though, that how judgmental people are about where kids sleep, Mm -hmm. but that like. For my kids, it's the same thing. Like, we have some anxiety issues. We have, it's particularly my middle child, Oliver. It just feels like he's overlooked a lot during the day and needs a little bit more comfort at night to to sleep and get that attention. And I guess that, for me at least, as long as it isn't inhibiting your sleep, like, if you need to move her because you want this space, then absolutely, you should do it. But I guess I feel like if it is something that is comforting you and something that is comforting her and it's not bothering either of your sleep, then it is okay. Like she obviously sleeps at her dad's fine and isn't like unable to sleep on her own. So if this is like something that she needs, I sleep with Jeff every night. So why wouldn't my kids also want to sleep with someone else in the room? I do think that there's someone in the room factor is a, is a big part of it because at her dad's house, her and her brother share a room. Yeah. I don't mind doing it on occasion or even if it were like maybe two, you know, out of four nights a week, but I kind of do want to have my room back when she's here. You know, if it's for you, then you should definitely do it. Right. <laughs> but the expert, they say it's not good for the kids though. Right. That it creates a sense of codependency and you know, the, the independent, I don't know. I read about it and they said it was bad. And so I just stopped reading. But I also think that it is unlikely you're going to damage Naima in any way by sleeping with her through this crisis. This is a great example of whatever you're worried about now. When she's 16 years old, she's not going to be sleeping in your bed. So who the fuck cares? However, if you want this to end, you are extremely within your rights to take affirmative steps to make it end. If I were you, I would be desperate for it to end because my kids are kickers. And when they sleep in our bed, they just kick me in the balls all night. (laughs) So, I mean, I'm sure you have a million plans already for how you might enact this. But the one thing I might suggest is given that you do like the experience as a sometimes thing, maybe the sort of like the, the middle path to start moving this to the place you want it to be, which is that she sleeps by herself most nights. And then on special occasions, she sleeps with you is to just like determine that one night a week is like a special mommy daughter, like camp out night where you guys, we, you know, ahead of time, this is the night you guys are going to sleep in the same bed. You maybe make a whole thing out of it. Maybe you actually go to bed a little earlier than you might usually do. So you're actually in bed with her when she goes to bed. And maybe after she's asleep, you get out and walk around a little bit, but you spend that close and loving time with her. She can look forward to that one day while also knowing that the other days there's, you're starting to move in a different direction and she knows that you're not taking away this thing permanently but you are trying at least a new thing in which 
This is a special thing we do once a week as opposed to the norm every single day. And that's at least one route toward sort of moving in the direction that you might want to move. Yeah, I think you can still like lay with her in her room too, like when she's going to sleep because the kids are the most like talkative and genuine in those moments before sleep. Like I love laying in the room and even like Jeff and I will lay on the floor and just let the kids like talk and with all of us in there. So I think you won't lose that either. And I'd also you know, talk to her about it. Like she's super bright. Thanks guys. I will update you all on that in the next couple of weeks and let you know how it's going. Before we move on to our listener letters, let's do some business. And I have some very, very, very exciting news, especially for me. There is a new Slate live show called The Kids Are Asleep, a grown-ups only show with real talk about the joys and frustrations that come with modern parenthood and modern life. And it is going to be hosted by me, Jamila, every Thursday. And our first episode, which is next Thursday, July 16th at 7 p.m., my guest is going to be none other than comedian and daily show correspondent Roy Wood Jr. It's going to be so much fun or it's going to be a complete disaster who knows the only way to find out is to tune in to catch the show live you can go to slate's facebook page and if you can't catch it live you'll be able to watch it on slate's youtube page and there'll be a link to both places in the show notes for next week so excited jamila one more time what's that date and time please that date and time for the first episode of The Kids Are Asleep, Slate's new live grown-ups only talk show, Thursday, July 16th at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. So for most of you all, your kids will actually be asleep. And for us West Coast folks, well, we're just going to have to try and figure out as best we can Also on Facebook Live, my fellow Karen Feeding columnist extraordinaire, Nicole Cliff, has a weekly live Karen Feeding show on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. I may be joining her next week, so be sure to tune in to that. And again, go to Slate's Facebook page to tune in. All fun things, all very exciting. And while you're on Facebook, be sure to join our active, well-moderated parenting community, which is filled with people giving and receiving parenting advice. Just search for Slate Parenting. And to stay up to date on all of Slate's great parenting content and shows, including my new show, The Kids Are Asleep, which debuts next Thursday, July 16th at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, be sure to sign up for Slate's parenting newsletter. It's the best place to be notified about all of our cool parenting stuff, including care and feeding, mom and dad are fighting, and much, much more. And as I've mentioned in the past, it's such a personal email from Dan that you'll think he's talking straight to you and you may be inclined to respond, but don't because he will never get your message. Sign up at slate.com backslash parenting email. So for our Slate Plus subscribers today, the kids are campless and summer is kind of a bummer for them. And this is a huge inconvenience for parents who rely on camps for childcare. Parents like me parents who have become camp counselors. So we're going to be talking to a longtime actual camp counselor and camp director about camp-like activities that your kids can do independently. Thank goodness. Here's a quick sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. 
bug juice is certainly a delightful addition to any camp experience. (laughs) But kind of trying to make it, even if it's completely fake and you're like, you know, dropping your kid off in the living room instead of dropping them off at camp, I think kind of building in some of that routine will help you as a parent and then also help the kids feel like, you know, life's a little bit different than just rolling out of bed and sitting at the counter and eating your pancakes. To hear great segments like that and to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. It's just $35 for your first year. It's a great way to support all of your favorite Slate podcasts, and you won't hit a paywall on the site, so you can keep up with all of Slate's important journalism. So if you'd like to support mom and dad or fighting, we beg you, please go to slate.com backslash mom and dad plus and join Slate Plus today. Okay, before we move on to our first listener question of the week, we have a quick follow-up from last week's question about the three-year-old who thought that he was supposed to pee immediately after drinking water. Dan, you heard from the listener? Yeah, I had a listener reach out to me on Twitter uh, to tell me her story. She said that her daughter had to pee immediately after drinking water for like a, a solid year. It would just go right through her. And she, after a whole bunch of doctors and specialists were consulted, um, that child was ultimately diagnosed with a tumor in her pituitary gland. Oh my goodness. So to be clear, we're not suggesting that the three-year-old from last week's letter has the same issue. There were some clear differences in these cases, including the fact that no pee is actually coming out when the three-year-old, who's the child of the letter writer from last week, forces himself to go. Right. But it is true that urinary problems can sometimes have all kinds of weird connections to other health issues. Uh, With Henry's pandas, actually one of the first symptoms that we had was frequent urination. But this is like, he can actually use the bathroom like 10 times in an hour, full bladder. None of this, like thinking he needs to go and having to squeeze it out, like actually peeing. So while in this case, we have a hunch that this kid's putting one over on his parents, it's worth noting that it's never a bad idea to talk about these things with your child's doctor. Absolutely. For that reason, we reached out to Jennifer Morin, who's a specialist in pediatric pelvic health, who mentioned to us that a visit to a pediatric urologist can be useful even if there's no underlying health issue because doctors are oftentimes great at explaining stuff about the body in an authoritative way, but also in a way that kids can understand. So when in doubt, there's nothing wrong with scheduling an extra visit to your child's pediatrician and if necessary, taking their recommendation for a specialist. Onward. Let's get to our first listener question, which is being read by the fabulous Shasha Leonard. Today, our youngest, who is three years old, took off while I was on the phone with the doctor. We spent 20 minutes frantically searching the neighborhood. Every house on the block helped look for him, even the frat house. I was panicking and ready to call the police for help when he was found. The problem was, he could hear us calling him, but he didn't answer. His usual response when we call for him is to not respond, but just come back to us. However, this time, he didn't. I'm afraid of what happens the next time he gets loose and I can't get to him. Does anyone have suggestions on how to keep this from happening or to teach him to always respond when he hears his name called? We have tried better locks, a child harness, behavior therapy, and 24-7 constant supervision. Thank you. Okay, this is absolutely terrifying. Worst possible nightmare ever, losing your child for 20 minutes. Elizabeth, what do you think? 
So we have had a series of runners and things like this out of my three children. Teddy, of course, is currently a runner and likes to bolt from the front door. It's particularly a problem when we're traveling a lot. So in the before times, we have definitely had kids kind of be lost in places and it's completely terrifying. And so we kind of instituted some policies and practices in the house to prevent this from happening. And they have been largely successful. So the first is that running is often an attention getting technique. And again, for a three year old, like you mentioned that you were on the phone when he took off. I find that Teddy is most likely to engage in this behavior when I am doing something else that doesn't involve him. So in these times, like as part of the prevention, if I know we are entering a time in which he may try to bolt, I try to make sure that he is entertained with something um, prior to me getting on the phone. Or, I mean, it's a total pain to have to do this, but it prevents, you know, these sort of things. But it sounds sort of like you have a, a larger problem of maybe leaving a lot and then again, not responding. So I was thinking sort of like, first, you can prevent them from running, which I know you said you've tried. And we did put an extra lock on the front door called the defender security lock, and it goes up high. So the kids actually can't reach it. And it's quite difficult to maneuver because it requires you both to like pull it to the side and then flip it back. So I can use that when we're in the house. Of course, we have like back doors and other things that he can get out. So that that's like slows him down does not like prevent that. But then we also practice not running and then practice responding because we've found that the responding to our cues is something that we need kind of in life, both in dangerous situations or in like when we're traveling, finding each other. So our family has this weird little, we use a like beeping if we're separated or if we're looking for each other. And Jeff and I weirdly even use this like in grocery stores, if we've gone in separate aisles and need to find each other. And it's just that one of us beeps and then the other one beeps back. And we basically keep doing this until we find each other. And it is completely weird, but all the kids do it too. And we only use it kind of when we're separated. We play games around the house using it to get everyone used to kind of this call and response. But we have used this like on playgrounds where we needed to gather the kids instead of like walking around shouting for them, we'll just do our little beeping thing. And then they can beep and we can find them or they know to come find us. And that's kind of like our secret way we call it like our family code to let everybody know like this is us trying to gather everybody up and that that works pretty well. We also wait, wait, of, oh, will you please beep for us now? Yeah, I wish Jeff was here. So we go. <laughs> I mean, it's literally we just mm-hmm. go. <laughs> it feels so silly. Beep. And then like the other person beep. goes, beep. Oh my God, I can't even stop myself. Yeah, yeah. So we all do it. And then like the kids do it too. And we all, if we're all, if they're in the cart, we all do it. And we, we look totally ridiculous, but it has worked so many times, like in a train station, when we got off at different doors, we just move out of the side and then beep and then find the beeps. And uh, yeah, so if you ever hear someone beeping in the target, it's me and (laughs) me and Joe. (laughs) The other thing though, that we do is that instead of using the word stop, because it seems like you tell your kids to stop a lot, we use the words freeze and danger. And when they were little, we played a lot of games with this. So we would say like, we um, want you to listen for these magic words, freeze and danger. And we'd be like playing a game, we'd say a bunch of words. And then when we said freeze or danger, they would have to stop. And then we lavished praise or gave rewards or whatever. And now this has worked very well, just combined with the beeping, but also for them to know that these words mean like, we're not playing, we're serious. So it's not just like, stop doing that. It's like, this is a dangerous situation, or we need you to focus. 
And we'll just yell, you know, freeze, stop. I think also rewarding when it happens and a little bit scaring them about the possibility of what happens when they get separated. So we talk a lot about the possibilities of getting separated from each other, some in the context of like what they should do, which is to stay put. We tell them to find another mom with kids and tell them that they're lost and then do not leave that area. And we talk about if someone wants them to leave, they're probably a tricky adult, like those sort of things. But we've also talked about when it has happened. We lost Oliver in the Postal Museum in London, and he had just turned a corner and we had not turned the corner. And when we found him, he was one scared enough to realize that he had walked away Um, or that we had walked away from him, but also saying to him, like, I felt scared, like telling him I felt really scared when this happened because I was worried, you know, who would take care of you. And I don't think you need to, like, scare your kids in terms of, like, you could have died or you could have been taken, but saying, like, who would have fed you when you needed food? Who would have helped you if you had gotten cold? Like, things that they can understand, these kind of minute details, but enough to say like getting separated from us where we can't find you and we're looking for you is dangerous. It scared me, but it also has consequences for you. Finally, pointing out these things when they're happening in real life. So saying like, when we see things in the world happening, I will say sometimes like, look how nicely that child is walking with their with their parents so they don't get lost. Like pointing those out of other times where you see these behaviors so that it is becoming more routine and less about this specific moment. Because I think like he was, I don't know if your child was also panicked, but you were also panicked. And that's not a great learning moment, but you have all these other opportunities to work on this where you say like running away from us is a problem. And even if we are allowing you to run away from us, we then need you to respond when we respond. And that could be a code word. Like it doesn't have to be weird beeping, but you could definitely have like a code word. Like when we use this word, it means we need you to tell us where you are now. Like we really can't find you. It's just so scary and you definitely don't want it to happen. I mean, we can all hope that maybe he was scared enough that it won't happen again. One thing that really stuck with me about what she said, Elizabeth, was the the difference between when we're playing and when we're not playing. And it seems like the problem in this particular case was the gulf between the parents not playing and the kid thinking they were still playing, that some game was happening. He was safely hidden away and happy being there. And for whatever reason, thought it was sort of more fun to not respond, even though he could have responded. And having some kind of word or action or, or insane beeping that signifies this is not a game and it is crucial for you to respond, I think is useful in a case like this. It's always been crazy to me. I know that this would be an enormous um, civil liberties violation or whatever, but it's always been crazy to me that there isn't just low jack for kids. Thing there you, are. Is there like a chip there you embed like in their hun- necks? No, there's like hundreds of bracelets and things like that. Oh, no, right? I don't want we- that. I want a thing you embed in their necks, like a chip. Oh. <laughs> I understand that there's a lot of ethical considerations that I'm sort of gliding past. But nonetheless, wouldn't it be great to have a GPS microchip embedded in your child's neck? Yes, it would. But you can embed it like in their coat or their book bag or their... Um- yeah, but they can lose their coat and book bag, Elizabeth. True, or not put it back in the right place. Right, right, right. 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 And then you'll be angry <laughs> and worried. <laughs> yeah. True. Jamila, what about you? I am completely outdone in so many ways at the thought. I I truly am my mother's child because the idea of my three-year-old being gone for 20 minutes is enough to just have me 
completely laid out on the floor. I would only add to, I think, you all's great suggestions, a tracker. I think desperate times call for desperate measures, and this child is a runner. And there are a few different models. There's the little tracker, which is the GPS watch. There's the GeoBit. There are a few different kinds that you can connect to an app on your phone, on your caregiver's phone, where you can always locate your child the same way that you would find my iPhone or locate a car that had been stolen. And I think you should get one for your kid. And it may not seem ideal to have to saddle them with the responsibility of constantly wearing a watch or some sort of necklace with the tracking device on it, but better safe than sorry. 20 minutes is a really long time. I'm curious to know where the kiddo was during this 20 minute period. Like, Sounds like hiding. Ignoring the cries of the frat members and the neighbors and everyone who came out their house during COVID. This is also something that when your child is old enough to truly guilt, you're going to have to bring it up and give them the guilt trip that you can't give a three-year-old. Like, you just have to put this in your pocket and save it. Billy, I had to go to the frat house. (laughs) The frat house. Do you understand? The frat house. The frat house. That's actually not a thing that ever happens. And imagine how hard it was to sell the frat on the idea of doing something for humanity. I don't know. Oh, no. Those guys loved it. They were. They were like, ah, damsel in distress. (laughs) I rescued a baby, man. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I rescued a baby today. It it really touched me. So what are you doing later? <laughs> sorry to all frat guys. We apologize for sorry saying, to yeah. all. Carry yeah, on. Sorry, but shout out to my child's father and half of my friends who are <laughs> frat guys. Um, and I'm in a sorority. Okay, please give us an update. We're super curious to know if this continues to be a problem for you. And if you get a tracker, I'd like to hear about how that goes as well. And if you, listener, have a conundrum of your own that you'd like for us to weigh in on, please send us an email to momanddad at slate.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And now we're going to move on to our second question, which is, again, being read by the one and only Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad, I'm the proud mother of a beautiful one-year-old daughter. 
She is an extremely happy and healthy little girl and has brought her father and I more joy than we thought possible. But sleep has never been her strong suit. For the first five to six months of her life, she would only sleep in my arms or next to me in bed. This made for a lot of time spent trapped on the couch and meant my husband and I didn't share a bed for many months. Even now, at over a year old, nap and bedtime often kicks off with a big crying fit and many false starts, although thankfully, she is sleeping in her crib. I've never been good with her crying. It rips my heart in two even when I know she's fine. I would love to have another child. When I think about my life, I always imagine having at least two children. In my heart of hearts, I know I do want another. However, I'm terrified of going through this sleep situation again. And more, how can I be strapped on the couch with a baby while also caring for a boisterous toddler? Between my maternity leave, yay Canada, and the pandemic, I'm still alone at home with her every day. This is of course a blessing, but I'm so burnt out by the constant crying at sleep time. I cannot imagine adding another baby to this mix. How did you decide to have, or not have, another child? Did you find that you handled things differently with subsequent babies? Thank you. My wife and I also knew that we wanted to have two kids, and also around the time that Lyra was one, found ourselves very overwhelmed with everything that was going on and started thinking, can we really handle this? Can we handle the sleep deprivation and the pressure and stress and the money situation. And, you know, one way that we thought about it, which might be a useful way for you to think about it, letter writer, was just in the sort of barest, simplest terms of recognizing that everyone with two kids struggles with the exact things you're worried about struggling with. It's not like anyone worries about those things, has a kid and finds that their problems evaporated and it turns out it was fine. You have the kid if you have the kid. And then, yes, it creates a lot of new complications in your life and a bunch of new problems and makes everything harder. It's harder to have a two-year-old when you also have a brand new baby alongside that two-year-old. But at the same time, you get through it, right? Parents make it through that time. They find ways to cope and manage. They find ways to simplify their lives or work around their problems or to or to grow the space in their lives that they need to to solve those problems or that problems just overwhelm them for a while, but eventually they figure it out or they never figure it out, but eventually the kids are older and it gets better. Like the problems that you're thinking about are not unique to you. And one way to think about making this decision is to recognize that those problems aren't going to magically go away if you have a kid or if you don't have a kid. You're still going to face the problems that you face right now if you don't have a kid. You'll have a whole new set of problems if you do have a second, and that's fine. You'll probably be just fine surviving those problems down the road. And if they're too much, then you'll find help and find ways to get through it the way parents have since time immemorial. Our personal story was that in the end, We just had a second kid by accident. Sorry, Harper, don't listen to this part. But like, we just, you know, we just had the kid and we freaked out at first when we found out we were pregnant. It was a little bit later than this letter writer is. Lyra was about, was a little under two when we discovered that Ollie was pregnant again. And we freaked out and worried and thought, oh God, this is going to be a disaster. And we wanted to wait longer. We weren't ready. 
And then we had Harper anyway, and it was fine. It was hard. And we had exactly the problems you worry about and that we worried about, but also we survived it. And I think that that is one lesson to take from the the countless other parents out there who wanted to, who had to, and who eventually survived too. I would like to hear what the insane person on this call who had three children has to say about this. Elizabeth? Yeah, so I, we knew we wanted kind of like definitely more than one. And I mean, three is our stopping point because it's chaos. But we sort of knew we wanted three kids. And I felt like I wanted the chaos all together because I was in this stage of having the babies and not sleeping. And then um, when I decided to stay home and not work, it was like, well, then we better just pump out these babies and be in this chaos all together. And I mean, listen, when we added Oliver, it was total chaos. Like I was potty training Henry. And at the same time had baby Oliver, we were at this Chick-fil-A and Henry had climbed up one of the climbing structures and then like leaned over in his like, I'm going to poop phase into one of those like glass circles. And I'm holding this baby and my best friend in Colorado is there with me and she is hugely pregnant with her second. And I'm just like, I don't like, do I put the baby on the floor? Do I, I don't know what to do. So I'm like screaming, like, don't you poop in that tube? You know, it was, it, but to me, it was this moment at which I was just like, okay, this is my life. My life now is just these poop in the tube moments. It was completely embarrassing. I ended up needing to like strip Henry down in the Chick-fil-A parking lot, but it was totally fine. And like Dan said, you're going to get through it. I don't think that you should make a decision on family size based on like this little bit of chaos that you're having now. If what you want your family to look like in five years is more than one kid or in 10 years or what for whatever reason, you're going to have to go through this baby phase, which is hard. I think also that subsequent babies, one, your standards just completely relax. Yeah. And two, you just realize like, my second and third babies just were like popped in carriers. And I mean, especially Teddy, we were living in the Netherlands. He like just lived in a carrier or in in the bike, biking around because we had all these things we had to do. And we had all these like taking the kids all these places and we had to go to the market and pick up our food, all these things. And we just did them. And he just slept and figured it out. I didn't I didn't worry about how much sleep they were getting. I didn't worry about a lot of these things because I just didn't have the capacity for it. And those kids are totally, mostly fine. Like I think, Dan, you said, I think you just have to say, I'm going to get through this. Yes, it's hard. Similar to kind of the sleeping situation we were talking about in our triumphs and fails, though, if the crying sleeping situation isn't working for you, I think you should do something about that. Um, If you're happy with how it's going, great. But there are steps that you can take. So if that's what's really like gritting you and making this difficult, I think there are things you can do to make getting to bed easier. One of the things I like is a page called Taking Cara Baby, C-A-R-A. And she has a webpage and courses, but her Instagram is full of little tips and tricks. And I find them empathetic and lovely and good little tips on how to mount some of these hurdles. But overall, I think if you want another baby, have another baby. It'll be chaos. Every phase is a different kind of chaos, and you'll find some that you like and some that are terrible. You happen to be in one now that you don't really like, but it will go away, and you will be able to raise a baby and a toddler, and you too will have a poop in the tube moment, and you will survive it, and you will feel like a better mom as a result. Yeah, I'll just say as the only person who hasn't yet had a second child and still not sure if I will, I would 
consider, do you want a second child or is it important to you that these children are close in age? Because if that's not the case, you could possibly, if you're able to wait a few years and you won't be in the thick of this really difficult stage with your child. And then you'll have a new child to drive you crazy. And the other one will be a little bit more self-sufficient. Yeah, there's no reason you have to rush into it right now in the middle of a pandemic and crisis when your kid is not sleeping. Like, unless there's some reason that these kids absolutely have to be one year and nine months apart. I don't know, for like for census reasons or something. I don't know. You also can wait and that would be fine. I mean, long story short, there's a million great reasons not to have a kid, but being afraid of chaos is not one of them because you've already got chaos. Like chaos has arrived in the form of one kid adding 60% more chaos on top of the chaos that's already there is not probably going to transform your life as much as you think it will. And honestly, your toddler's going to be more chaos than a sleeping baby or not sleeping baby. In case you haven't noticed all the letters about right. crazy three-year-olds, watch out. Yeah. No one's ever like, my baby was playing a game, ran out of the house, and hid for 20 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. You might improve your quality of life a little bit if you have a sweet baby to remind you what it is that you liked about parenting in the first place. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. Well, thank you so much, letter writer. We wish you all the best, whether you decide to be a family of three or a family of four. Please keep us posted if you'd like. And that's it for our letters this week. Listeners, if you have something you'd like to hear on the show, please send us an email at slate.com. Okay, before we get out of here, guys, let's do some recommendations. Dan, what do you have for us this week? I'm recommending a very sweet and fun uh, comic for kids ages 8 through 12. It's called Doodleville by Chad Sell. It just came out this month. Chad Sell's a cartoonist. His first book was called The Cardboard Kingdom. It's also really good. It's sort of a fun superheroes in the neighborhood story. But this one is really special. I think it's uh, about a little girl who lives in a world where drawings come to life, which for some people is really fun because it means that your the artwork that you make can you know spring into action and do fun things for you. But her doodles are a little bit mischievous and keep wreaking havoc everywhere she goes. And then it only gets worse when she draws a monster. It is a very good book about friendship, about the joy of art, and kind of secretly and sneakily about depression. I really liked it a lot. Once again, it's called Doodleville by Chad Sell. I love these like comic books too. It was something I wasn't really exposed to as a child and have been such a good like for my new like new readers or reluctant readers trying to get them into reading. I don't know. I, th- I think Well, they didn't exist like, when right. we were kids. Like the, the all ages yeah. non-superhero comic really wasn't a thing when we were kids. It's just been so awesome to like offer that as an easy like reading option and something they like to do. You know, it seems and, less and, uh, and, intimidating. And it helps that many of them are are actually really very good. Yeah, that's the thing. Like they're also good. Like I don't feel bad. It's not like here's some crap. It's like this is a really good thing, and you're gonna think it's fun, and you're getting away with something. Best kind of recommendations. I'm recommending something not like that at all. Doing tie-dye with your children, which sounds like a huge mess, and it is, but it is so fun. And more specifically, we uh, tie-dyed a bunch of masks, and that has really helped the kids kind of have buy-in into wearing them. They're super excited about getting to do all the designs and color mixing. I was the only one who touched the tie-dye, which is 
advice I give based on letting the children tie dye on their own previously and us all having dyed <laughs> hands for weeks. So um, I let them do all the wrapping and stuff. We set it up in the backyard. It was super fun. I bought a huge tie dye kit and then we set it up and in the front yard and neighbors came by and did their tie dyeing as well, like in our front yard with our kit while we did some social distancing and it was super fun. And uh, now, you know, we get to see everybody wearing their tie dye shirts and masks around. So um, kits are available. I guess tie dye is also very in for adults, but we just did it as a fun kind of thing that you would do at summer camp that the kids really enjoyed. And you can just add the shirts to your Walmart pickup. So easy breezy, a huge mess, but lots of fun. Camila, what are you recommending? Well, um, I have mentioned to you all in the past that part of my move to California was powered by wanting to make some lifestyle changes and that I was committed to becoming a straight up hippy dippy crunchy granola. Well, I don't know about crunchy granola, but um, even though I did buy a pair of Birkenstocks um, since I've been here. Amazing. Right. They're not nearly as comfortable as people would have you believe. I guess you have to like wear them down to make them comfortable, which seems to defeat the purpose. I could do that with a better looking pair of shoes, but they're here now. But I've taken an interest in astrology and I found a really great book. Uh, I shouldn't say I found it. I've been following this amazing astrologer, Chani Nicholas, on social media for quite some time. And she put out her first book last year. And it's a really great read for folks that are new to astrology, who've had kind of a passive interest in astrology and would like to know more about their sign and what's the difference between a rising sign and a sun sign and a moon sign and what you should do with that information. And it's also takes the science of astrology seriously, but it's also very unintimidating. And I think that for folks who are like, I'm not so sure how I feel about this whole astrology thing at all. It's just a really safe, nice way to explore. And it's called You Were Born for This astrology for radical self-acceptance again the author is chani nicholas who is a super dope astrologer and it shows you how to read your birth chart and what the sun and moon and stars have written for you before you could even write for yourself so for my my fellow hippies and hippie aspirants please check it out love it And I think that is it for our show this week. And as a reminder, if you would like to have one of your parenting conundrums examined and poked and prodded on air by the host of Mom and Dad are Fighting, please send us an email to slate.com. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. On behalf of Elizabeth Newcamp, Dan Quah, I'm Jamila Lemieux. Thank you for listening. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.